Let's go to our Heavenly Father in prayer. Gracious God, you have been kind to us in so many ways, and we praise your name for your mighty deeds, for your wondrous works. Father, we see a small picture of them in this world that you have created, which is so glorious, so marvelous, that people down through the ages have been tempted to worship the creation rather than you, the creator. And so, Father, we look at, we look at this world, we look at your creation, the splendor of the stars and the heavens and the intensity of the heat of summer and the bitter freezing cold of a snowy winter, the change of the seasons and the many beautiful and marvelous animals that can live in so many different environments and circumstances. Father, we look at all of these things and we are pushed to you. Pushed to worship you. To glorify your name. For you have indeed created by speaking your word. And all things came into being only through the power of your word. Father, we have been given this world by you. You've given us the work of subduing it and of making it improve. Help us with that work, Father. Help us to know how we are to do it in our own lives, in our homes and families, in our yards. Father, help us not to forget these first commands that you gave us. And Father, we thank you for the gift of children that you have given to so many families in this church. Help us not to grow weary, Father, with the work of filling the earth, but help us to pursue obedience by faith, knowing that your command and our obedience are good and bring about good. Father, be patient with us, we pray, for we so easily turn aside, we're so easily distracted by the worries of this life and the cares and trials of this world. And yet, Father, you use them to sanctify us, to drive us to our knees in prayer, to remind us to look to you and not to money for our help, for our security, and certainly not, Father, for our salvation. For money can buy none of these things but you offer them freely to your children because of your great love for us. Father, thank you for being our Father. Thank you for being the one true Father from whom every family and every father on earth derives its name. So, Father... We praise you. We lift up your glorious name. We sing in praise to you. Let our hearts be in our worship. 
May it not simply be that our mouths speak your praises, but our hearts are far from you. But Father, may our hearts overflow in joyful worship and praise, singing songs and psalms and spiritual songs. Father, we pray that we would teach your truths to the next generation. That we would show them the goodness and the blessing of obedience to your commands. That they would walk in our footsteps. That they would pass it on to the next generation. Father, do raise up faithful men, pastors and elders and deacons, officers to lead your church, not just now, Father, but in the days to come. Father, we pray for the young men here today that you would even now be preparing some of them to do the work of being leaders in your church. That they would love your word. That they would seek to live according to the qualifications of officers. And most of all, Father, that you would call them. And that your people would see the obvious work that you have done in the lives of the next generation. Father, we pray that the church would not grow weak, that your children that are part of it now here today would be here in 20 years. That they would neither turn aside to the left nor to the right, but that they would walk in the way that they have been raised up. Father, help them to be covenant keepers and not covenant breakers. We thank you, Father, for the book of Kings and for the many things that we have learned already from it. We pray, Father, that this morning as we study Joash further, that our hearts would resonate, that we would see ourselves, the temptations that we face in this story. Father, we pray that we would have a great desire to make your worship glorious among your temple, your people gathered in your name. We ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who taught his disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, thank you all for the pleasant gift that we received, I guess it was two weeks ago as we were leaving, of uh, notice that uh, while we were going on vacation, some of you were intent on us going on another vacation. It was kind of a, that was a fun little surprise. Uh, so... It is 19 and more than a half years ago that Heidi and I got married. And at some point around our 20th anniversary, we will take that money that you guys gave us 
and go on a trip together. So I just wanted to say thank you very much. Now let's turn to our study of 2 Kings 12. You've already read it. We've read of Joash. Now, did you kids notice the confusing thing about Joash in this chapter? What's confusing about Joash in this chapter? Anybody notice? Yeah, Zeal. Oh, that was confusing. Yeah, but that's not what I was talking about. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that at the end. Uh, no, he's... What's confusing, what's most confusing about Joash in this chapter is that he's called something else. Well, that's the simplest confusing thing. He's called Jehoash and Joash in the same chapter. Any of you guys have nicknames? Okay, so you know what's going on, right? It's not that confusing. But you've got to make sure you know that it's the same guy or it can get confusing. So Joash and Jehoash here in this chapter... Same guy. And then when you go read about him in Chronicles, you'll see uh, the same kinds of things going on. You've got to be paying attention with these kings because all, all their names sound the same. And then some of them have nicknames. Now, I don't remember. I didn't, I didn't look this morning. But the, uh, the handout we've had at the back for many months that has a list that Pastor McNeely put together, very beautiful, uh, color-coded timeline of the kings of Israel and of Judah, is very helpful to those of us who can't memorize even one creed. I certainly don't have the kings memorized. So, uh, so I refer to that sort of thing a lot. So if you need that, don't... don't be ashamed to grab a copy and look at that list. It'll help keep you in line, in order, what's going on. So here we are with Joash and Jehoash, the same guy. <clears throat> and you remember that last time, the line of David was almost wiped out. The line of David was almost wiped out, but one little baby was saved, Joash, from the wicked, wicked queen mother, Athaliah. She died. Praise the Lord. Joash lived. Praise the Lord. Because it was his work. He was the one who was doing it. But that's not all that the Lord did. He didn't just save Joash. He saved him and put him under a particular man. That man was named Jehoiada. And we read about the importance of Jehoiada here in chapter 12. It says that Jehoash, verse 2, did right in the sight of the Lord all the days in which Jehoiada the priest instructed him. Now, if you read it in the ESV, it might say... Uh, or it does say, Joash did right in the sight of the Lord all the days of his life because Jehoiada the priest instructed him. That's probably a better translation. Um, and we ought to go with better translations even when they're confusing. And the thing that's confusing about that is that Joash didn't do right all the days of his life. We don't read about it in this passage, but in Chronicles we read about the uh, death of Jehoiada and how Joash actually uh, was quite wicked after Jehoiada died, even causing his son to be put to death for warning him against his sin. So, <clears throat> Sometimes our translators like to clean things up in the Bible for us. And that's what, when I, what I'm reading from the NASB 95 did for us today. It cleaned it up for us and removed that, that confusing little thing where it says that he did right all the days of his life because Jehoiada instructed him. 
It's really not that hard to understand. We don't need the translators to clean up our Bibles for us. The emphasis here in 1 Kings is on Jehoiada and the work of the king together with the priests while Jehoiada was alive. And that's what is being brought out. It's not a uh, universal uh, commendation of Joash. In fact, even... Uh, I'm, I'm the wonder I'm confused. I'm looking at chapter 11. We're in... <laughs> Even in verse 3, only the high places were not taken away. So the very next verse, we read a caveat to Joash's goodness, right? Only the high places were not taken away. The people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. So this is one of those things where we read the word of God, we understand it, And we read it with the context of Chronicles to help it inform our understanding. We don't simply change the words. It's very easy for us to want to make little changes to the Word of God like this. I I never stop warning you about this, though, because... The words of God are trustworthy and true. And we don't want our translators to convince us that they're not trustworthy and true and that the translators need to make them trustworthy and true for us. You get what I'm saying? This really isn't hard to understand when it's properly translated. So, let's trust that God knows what he's talking about that he said the things he said for a reason. And let's use the word of God as it was handed down to us. It's all well and good for me to say that, I know, because it's like, well, you have to choose a translation, and what do you know about whether it was translated well or not? And I would never know that this was poorly translated unless I'd been reading the commentaries, right? And reading about the... The, uh, the debates about how to translate it. One of the reasons that I point out when things are wrong in the NAS 95 is because I have chosen it and I lead you in reading it. And so I want to make sure to highlight where it is not being faithful But one of the reasons that I've chosen it is because it is much more often faithful than the ESV or most other translations. So, it's a trade-off. But since I'm reading from it, I want to make sure I highlight when it is in error. Okay, with that out of the way, Joash, he's a good king for the most part. And it's because of Jehoiada. It's because of Jehoiada. Joash wouldn't have done nearly as well if he had been instructed by his parents. Now that's not something you hear every day, is it? If Joash had listened to his parents, the kingdom would have been in a world of hurt. Some of you wouldn't have Christian instruction if it wasn't for the adoptive parents God gave you. Some of those are legal adoptions. Some of them are spiritual adoptions. This is a spiritual adoption, if you will, between Jehoiada and Joash. We don't want Joash to be the son of the priest, We want Joash to be the son of the king because he needs to be the king next. No legal adoption happening here, right? 
But there's a spiritual adoption that Jehoiada takes Joash under his wing and instructs him all the days that Jehoiada is alive, and it helps Joash all those days. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Joash was fatherless. That's sad. That's a tragedy. But God was father to him. God was father to him and gave him an earthly father figure as well. And so God often works mercifully, even through difficult trials, to give you this very gift of instruction and training in the Lord. So if you have suffered under a wicked father who did not train you in the ways of the Lord, or if you have suffered the loss of your father, remember Joash. Remember how God provided for him and look at it and see yourself in that picture. God used that very loss the fact of having a wicked father, the fact of having a wicked grandmother, the fact of the loss of both of them to bring about the instruction that Joash needed to walk in the footsteps of his father, David, his great-great-great-great-grandfather, so that he would have true proper, godly instruction. So do not worry about whether you have all of the advantages of somebody else. There are many ways that we all suffer disadvantage in this life, in this fallen world. Joash had a pretty substantial one. His grandma was trying to kill him. Yikes. And his parents are gone. And then, his, thankfully, his grandma's gone, right? But, but what does God do? God provides for him. Not just safety, but God provides instruction for him. And so, if you are here today, if you're hearing this sermon, God has provided a way for you to be here to hear this. No matter what your past is, no matter what your background is, no matter what your advantages and disadvantages were, praise God. He is a faithful father to us, providing just what we need. And so we see that with Josh, and I want you to see it in your own life as well. And if you and if you had if you are thinking, well, my father was great, well, praise God. God uses that many, many more times. Right? We know that the normal way for people to be raised up in the faith is for them to have parents who raise them up in the faith. And yet, he also draws in from the outside those who we would never expect and he becomes a father to them. He adopts them into his family as sons. What a joyful gift that is. And adoption is uniquely Christian because it comes from the fact that God, our Heavenly Father, adopts us as His sons. You don't see adoption in the Muslim world because they have no concept of the Heavenly Father being a father to us. God, yes. Judge, yes. Adoptive father? Remember, Joash, God works mercifully even through the difficult trials that lead to things like adoption being necessary in the first place so that we have what we need from him, instruction in the faith. So what is it that Joash gives himself to then? He's got good instruction from Jehoiada the priest. And then most of this chapter we read about, there's a little 
bit of tension and uh, questioning of what's going on between the king and the priests. What's going on between the king and the priests and the temple? So, Joash gives himself to the work of repairing the temple. Now, this is after he has, this is after uh, the temple to Baal has been destroyed, right, when he was little. Restoration of the worship of Yahweh, the one true God, is at the heart of Joash's kingship. Restoration of proper worship. And so, and so in this chapter, what we read mostly about is the repair of the temple. This is the work that is this sort of, uh, okay, going, not going, is it going to happen? Is it not going to happen? How is it going to happen? That we read about here in chapter 12. Why is Joash doing this? It's because he has a proper view of the necessity of the restoration of the worship of God. Okay? He sees how important it is that the worship of the Lord be truly central to the people of God. Jehoiada seemingly taught him this. The temple was built beautifully by Solomon. The temple was built beautifully for the worship of the Lord. But since that time, the building had been let go. Now, every building eventually meets its omega, right? They all have a life span. This one wasn't just built beautifully, it was built strongly. Good, solid stone, cedar that doesn't rot easily, nice, thick, protected by gold. Okay, it was built to last, and it has lasted a long time. It's not, it's not coming near to its omega, but it has fallen into disrepair, right? And part of the reason it's fallen into disrepair is because Athaliah hated the worship of the Lord. And so we see the emphasis turn to worshiping Baal. We see the money go to building a temple over there. We see the things taken out of the temple and put into the temple of Baal. Okay? And we don't read about all that here in our text, but uh, with that as the context, we've got to understand, okay, yeah, you know, there, there there aren't as many resources for upkeep of the temple and the worship of the Lord had fallen on hard times. And so as the worship is restored, it's appropriate that the people want to see the building re-established to its original beauty and glory, right? But it's easy to not do it, isn't it? Very easy to just be a little bit lazy. Because, you know, it's a lot easier to let things slowly deteriorate than it is to keep them from deteriorating. And you know what's even easier? I mean, you know what's even harder than that? Improving them. Steady state is hard. Improvement is even harder. And that's what Joash is looking for. He wants to see the temple improved. He wants to see the already damaged repaired. Not just no more damage. The temple was built beautifully. 
And when the people gather to worship, they look around. It shouldn't be demonstrable that they don't really care, that it's not really a priority. You, You see what I'm saying? Now that holds true here, even though this isn't a beautiful place. No, it's beautiful enough, but, but I mean, not that beautiful, right? It's a gym. <laughs> Maybe some of you are, no, it's not beautiful enough. <laughs> yeah, okay, fine. But it holds true here just the same. It ought not to be that we... That if somebody was just an observer, you know, set a camera up and watch how we treat this place, that we treat it with a lack of care. Eh, you know, what happens here, it happens. Eh, spilled soda on the floor, whatever, right? You know, no, we want to care for it. Why? Well, because we want to be good stewards, because we want to be good renters, we, we want to have a good testimony. All those things are true. But really what's going on here, what I want us to see about our worship is that our level of care, is of, of worship, our priority of worship is demonstrated in how we live our lives and what we give ourselves to. Okay? That's what I want us to see. And so it's, it's really important that we expand this to even a not beautiful place, our understanding, and even beyond the place. The point is it shows what your priority is. Is the worship of the true Lord being restored to its proper place? The people want, when when they are worshiping the Lord, from their hearts, and there's a broken window, that's a shame. Here I am at the place where I worship the Lord and the window's broken. I'd like to see that fixed. Instead of, all right, here I am, did my worship, I'm out of here. Now this restoration, when Baal worship has been going on, and remember, this is a restoration of Worship of Yahweh. That's what's going on. It's a restoration of the worship of Yahweh, not just a restoration of a building. The restoration of the worship of Yahweh is particularly difficult when Baal worship has been going on. What happens when the official religion switches from worship of the one true Lord to worship of Baal. Well, nobody wants to come to the temple anymore. That's what happens. And when you don't come to the temple, but you go up onto the high places, if you're faithful, you still want to worship, but you're like, well, I don't want to go there. I might get killed. I might get my name. I might get a check mark by it, you know? Watch out for that one. Now just worship on the high places. And then what's happening? Well, no more money's coming into the temple, right? And the priests can't live anymore because there's not enough money coming in, so they all leave. There's only, a, there's only a skeleton crew in the temple then. And pretty soon, there's not enough men to do the work, and pretty soon, things are falling apart. You see how this happens? Not to mention all the people that aren't worshiping the true Lord anymore and are giving their money to the Baal temple. The rich, the powerful, the king, the queen mother, right? So the point is, it seems that both the people were being lax in their care of worship of the one true God and the leadership, the priests were being lax. 
Now, what do we see in our passage regarding the priests? Well, we see them being lax, right? Progress is not being made in spite of the king saying, all right, here's the plan. Here's how we're going to get things restored. I want to see a priority on the worship of God. I want it to be demonstrated so that the people know this is a priority. And the priests don't make it a priority. Kind of a problem. If you're expecting the leadership to lead... Are the people going to stop worshiping on the high places <laughs> if the priests aren't leading in, in this? It's catch-22, but somebody's got to start, right? There's a lot of debate in the commentaries about how much fault there is for the priests. Or, uh, you know, the, how much wrong have the priests done here? Were they stealing the money? Because you guys remember reading in this passage <clears throat> that what happens is he says that they're taking the money, right? They're taking the money, and uh, they're the ones that are then supposed to make sure that the repairs happen. Well, they don't. And, uh, you know, it would be nice if the, if the passage just said they were wrong in this way and that way, but not this way and that way. You know, like, real simple. But, but here is, here's what I think. It's, it's impossible to read this without thinking, yeah, the priests failed somehow. They weren't getting the work done. They weren't making it the priority that the king was trying to get them to have appropriately, right? But I don't think that they were outright stealing. I don't think that they were stealing. And the reason is because of the way that it says that they consented to this new plan that the king comes up with. It's not... Uh, the, king, the king is not leveling huge accusations against them of theft and embezzlement, right? <clears throat> He's just saying, you haven't made it a priority. And so he comes up with a new plan. Since progress isn't being made, Jehoiada um, and Joash <clears throat> distinguish between money for the priests and money for the building. This is something we still do today. We have a building fund. If we didn't put money in the budget specifically for the rent... And a building, I'm sure the pastors could find use for the rest of the money in our family budgets. Would it be theft? It'd just be a nice, easier way to live. Wouldn't be right, wouldn't be good, wouldn't be wise, wouldn't be the right priorities, right? It's a bit of a conflict of interests. And it's so wise and simple to say, hey, here's an idea. If people see the separation of the money, they'll want to make sure that the priests are provided for. And they'll want to make sure that the building has enough money to be built to be repaired. More than likely, it increased the amount that was being given to make this change because the people could see what was going on. Very wise. Beautiful progress is made 
starting from that point. You can see the excitement in the text. You can see it even as it's describing that the people who are given the money to do the work then, there isn't any special accounting that, you know, that they need to be keeping track of every receipt and so forth. No, 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 no. No, we trust the Levites to do the work. We're having them do the work. They're doing a great job of it. It's their task. They're being faithful in it. And we're seeing the progress be made. We're not slowing them down with the accounting. And so the house is restored. And they're not restoring the treasury. They're just taking all this money. They're, 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 they're beautifying and improving the building itself. The treasury of the temple would have received back already the stuff that had gone off to the temple of Baal when the temple of Baal was destroyed. That stuff had been taken from Yahweh's temple, put into the temple of Baal, Let's burn that one down and put it back. So they've done that. And things would have been uh, added over the course of the king's rule. But the point is that this set-apart money for the building was only used for the building. It wasn't used for the priests and it wasn't used to, to build up the treasury. It was used to strengthen, restore improve the building itself. And the people gave faithfully to it. Now this draws out uh, a, a theme, again, from the previous chapter where the covenant was reestablished. It's not just the priest's responsibility to make sure that restoration of the worship of the Lord happens. It's not just the king's responsibility. All of them are involved in this work. Every last person. The king, the priests, the Levites, and all the people who gave. You see the priority shift. They love the worship, the appropriate worship of the one true God. It's exciting in our passage. And then you get to the end of the chapter, and it's terrible. No, it's not terrible like if you were to read Chronicles in the end of Joash's life. Okay. But what's the focus here in our chapter? The focus in our chapter is that Hazael, ah, you remember that guy, right? The guy that made Elisha cry? When Elisha saw what he would do to the people of the Lord? Hazael. Hazael defeats Gath. And then what? Joash, king of Judah, Verse 18, took all the sacred things that Jehoshaphat and Jehoram and Ahaziah, his fathers, kings of Judah, had dedicated, and his own sacred things, that is, holy dedicated things, and all the gold that was found among the treasuries of the house of the Lord and of the king's house, and sent them to Hazael, king of Aram. He pays off Hazael. Temple's still in good repair, guys. But it's pretty demoralizing, isn't it? No more spoons, no more snuffers, no more plates, no more bowls, no more goblets, no more gold to be found in the place. The treasure is gone. Now, if you were faced with an injury from a, from a fight, which, by the way, had happened 
to Joash against Hazael. And uh, he defeated Gath, which is a nearby city. And he was heading towards Jerusalem, which, by the way, is where you are and your capital city of your kingdom. Would you be tempted to pay him off? I'd be tempted to pay him off. Right? What's the solution here? Is there a solution? Would you be tempted to take not just the money you had in your treasury, but the whole treasury of the temple as well? I'd be tempted. Save the kingdom. Yeah, yeah, there's a cost. Yeah, I mean, it kind of stinks to take the things devoted to the Lord and give them over to a heathen king. Oh, now, did you hear that? Take the things devoted to the Lord? Give them to a heathen king? We're going to do what now? Sacred things? To Hazael? After we did all this work of restoring the worship of the Lord to the central place in our kingdom, we're going we're to take the gold and the silver and the implements devoted to the worship of the Lord and we're going we're gonna to take them and we're going to use them as a bribe to a wicked heathen king? That's sad. That's real sad. This is the end, as we read about it in Second Kings, of Joash's life. We read of his failure in trying to accomplish what he started out so strongly doing. And then we read of his death. That's how the story ends. And his death, by the way, is also really sad. Assassination, right? He loses the temple treasury and then he dies. He doesn't just lose the temple treasury though. He gives it. He gives it. And it was not his to give. You don't give to the Lord and then take it back when it's inconvenient that you don't have it anymore. We don't do that with each other. We certainly don't do that with the Lord. There are plenty of reasons for us to criticize how Joash handled Hazael. And uh, certainly even more if you read about it in Chronicles. But it's easy to see even here the trajectory that Joash has and how it ends badly. It just ends badly. He's given Jehoiada the priest at the start. Restoration of the covenant. Restoration of the worship of Yahweh. Prioritizing it. Trying again. And then like a slow motion plane crash. It just ends badly. He started better than he ended. He started out caring about the worship of the Lord being beautiful. He started out trusting God. But in the end, what did he trust in? 
You guys remember the psalm, some trust in chariots, some in horses, some in mammon. Now, that one's not in the psalm. That's just a little extra one that we see all through the Bible. How many people trust in money rather than in the Lord? And I think this is one of those areas where the richer you are, the more you're likely to trust in it. Actually, I don't think I know. Jesus is pretty clear about it, right? How hard it is for the wealthy, for the rich, to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because you have something you think you can trust in. That's why. And Hazael thinks, I mean, Joash thinks that he has what he needs. And it works. Money's the answer to everything, as Ecclesiastes says. It works. Can't buy me love, can't buy me happiness. Yeah, you got the songs, but can buy you an awful lot of stuff, right? Can buy you security, can buy you an insurance policy, can buy you a nice house, can buy you a safe car, can buy you a lot of things. Can buy off Hazael. It worked. But you know what it does do? You know what money does do? It reveals where your heart is. And Joash takes from the Lord and gives to Hazael in the end. In the end, he stole from God's treasury in order to avoid having to rely on God. We have examples of many, many hopeless cases. Well, clearly the city's going to be sacked. Well, clearly the people are all going to die. Well, clearly we've seen it in this book in Kings, right? Clearly it's hopeless. We have to rely on money. We have to rely on Egypt. We have to rely on... How about rely on God even at the end? Even when it's hopeless. He's the one who gave you the kingdom in the first place. He's the one who provided... For your safety, he's the one who's provided for you thus far. Trust him to the end. How often do we start out with energy only to grow weak and weary with the task before us? How often do we start off with zeal for the worship of the Lord, with, with zeal for the fight against this sin in our life, and after a week, after a month, after a year, we've just grown tired of that fight. We've grown tired of making that a priority. We've grown tired of forcing ourselves once again to turn back and rely on God. Isn't there an easier way? Can't I just use some of this money? It buys me air conditioning. That's comfortable. It buys me fresh fruit in the middle of the winter. That's comfortable. Can't I just buy some relief from this fight? From this work? No. You 
You can't. You got to fight to the end. You got to trust God to the end. You guys remember Caleb, right? Caleb was one of the spies. One of the faithful two spies, right? It was Caleb and who? Joshua, that's right. Caleb and Joshua. And Caleb fought and fought and fought and fought and fought when they were going. And, and then he said, all right, now send me back. Joash fought and fought and stopped. Which do we want to be? How often do we see similar disappointments to Joash? People who start off so good, so strong, so promising, with such high aspirations of holiness and of zeal and of good, beautiful ideals, right? Only to give up slowly as the fight goes on. Spiritual leaders who begin to compromise. This world filled with sinners. It's a fallen world, cursed because of Adam's sin and now certainly not helped by ours. Right? And there are plenty of things that you can say there are going to be disappointments in this life. There are things where you say, well, you know, there should be peace between brothers. But the, but the chasm's huge and I don't know how to cross it. I don't know how to make that peace, so we're going to live in this fallen, broken world with a broken relationship between brothers. It's terrible. Right? We're going to live by faith even in these disappointments. And so, then it's easy for us to say, yeah, yeah, I'm going to give up. I want you to see the difference. No. You don't give up. You keep fighting. You keep praying. You trust God with what He is going to accomplish. If He gives Hazael Gath, okay, we live with Hazael having Gath, unless God decides to give it back. You, you see what I'm saying? But we don't see that and be like, all right, well. <clears throat> I guess we're done trusting God. I guess we give up on Him. Look at the beginning of Joash's life. Look at the trajectory. Look at where it could have ended if he had continued to fight the fight. Sure, the kingdom might have been smaller, but oh, how much more glorious it would have been the worship of the one true Lord, if it had stayed central, if he hadn't stolen from the temple, stolen from the Lord. That's my call to us. Don't give up. Trust God no matter what the circumstances no matter what the pain, no matter what the trials you face, 
Joash started with trials, and he ended with trials. He started with faith, and he ended with trust of money. What's your trust in? God is the one who brought you through the trials so far. He's the one who will bring you through. Keep on fighting. Let's pray.